This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it! Give me a vacation! Vacation! Give me a wave! Surfing! Give me a city tour! The trolley! Give me animals! The zoo! Give me some sea life! <laughs> Give me museums! Park. Give me a woo! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Hello and welcome to Saber Production of iHeartRadio and Stuff Media. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we're talking about food waste. Yes. And we've been meaning to talk about this for a while um, but it's one of those things where you always kind of put it off because it's really depressing. It is. And we have to talk about the depressing things. But sometimes it's... It's, it's more fun to talk about rhubarb, honestly. Definitely true. Definitely true. Oh, what could you do with rhubarb? Oh, all kinds of things, I'm sure. Oh, but we're getting ahead of ourselves because, okay, the, the, the fun part about food waste is that we can help solve it by making delicious stuff out of things that would otherwise go to waste in our own kitchens. Yeah. Um, but the sad part is how much is going to waste on a local, national, and global scale? Absolutely. Very sad. So I guess we should get to a question. Sure. Food waste. What is it? Well, uh, food waste is food that is produced and then not consumed, um, that Furthermore, is not turned into anything else, uh, and is is and goes to waste. Mm -hmm. Just gets thrown out. Yeah, and it is perhaps a larger problem than I I, I can conceive of, uh, because about a third of the food that the world produces every year goes uneaten. One point three billion tons worth. 
Um, as of August of 2019, wasting all of that food costs us $940 billion every year and is responsible for 8% of our total greenhouse gas emissions. And that is, that's a bunch of numbers that are kind of unimaginable. Like, I don't have a good concept of what 1.3 billion tons of food is, mm -hmm. um, nor how much $940 billion is. That's an amount of money that I, I don't, I think that 20 bucks is a lot. So I'm like, ooh, okay. So let's break that down into a more digestible amount, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Pun not intended, but I'm going to go with it. In North America, the World Bank estimates that 1,520 calories worth of food per person, per day, are wasted. That's a whole extra person's worth of calories going to waste for every person. Yeah. Um, in other parts of the world, it's it's more like 415 to 750 calories. Like, we, in particular, have a lot of work to do. Yeah. Um, and another stat I saw thrown around a lot, if food waste was a country, it would be the third largest greenhouse gas emitter behind China and the United States. Oh, wow. The global annual value of food waste is $1 trillion. Ooh. So it's, it's huge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, in the U.S. alone, as of 2018, we, uh, farms, businesses, consumers, we spent $218 billion on food we don't actually eat. It's 1.3% of our, of our gross domestic product. Wow. Um, 40% of that is wasted by businesses, 10% by farms, 2% during manufacturing, but 43% in our homes. Mm -hmm. um, so we invited a friend to come join us today who's, who's been working on waste reduction in her own home and has started teaching classes on it, uh, Dr. Julia Skinner of Root Kitchens. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you might remember Julia from our episode on Tea Time from July of 2018. Um, or but, apple pie. Or our apple pie. Right. Yeah. She. We had a video where we did a, a medieval-inspired apple pie. It was delicious. It was. Difficult to eat, perhaps, but delicious. <laughs> so good. Oh, man. The video features her cat, Queequeg. Mm-hmm. It was, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. Um, but before we get Julia on here talking about what— you, perhaps, can do about it. Let's talk about uh, what can be done about food waste on that larger scale, that other 57% that is not us, that <laughs> is industry and businesses and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, some, many, many cultures are, in fact, taking on food waste on a national legislative scale. In South Korea, for example, the disposal of food waste in landfills was outlawed in 2005, and between then and 2016, um, South Korea managed to reduce home and restaurant food waste by over 30%. And they've started recycling 85% of their food waste as compost or, or animal feed. So, good steps. Yes. Yes. Right, going the right direction. Absolutely. Um, Japan and Taiwan similarly recycle up to a third of their food waste as animal feed. The EU, uh, the European Union, has a waste directive in place that aims to prevent all biodegradable waste, including food, from going to landfills by 2025. However, efforts are being made kind of sporadically across member nations, as perhaps you might expect. Yeah. Uh, there are still laws on the books preventing surplus food from going to animals for feed due to outdated disease control laws. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of at the heart of, of a lot of the problems, some of these laws that certainly in the past were good for preventing 
disease breakout. You don't want that. Nobody wants sick cows. Nobody wants sick people. Let's no. not. No. But, you know, modern times. Yeah. Modern transportation. Yeah. Um, <laughs> on a more global scale, um, in 2015, the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization, the FAO, included food waste and food loss in this larger set of sustainable development goals for 2030. Ooh. Yes. Within those goals, target 12.3 is, uh, by 2030, have per capita global food waste, that's half cut in half, yeah, at the retail and consumer levels, and reduce food losses along production and supply chains, including post-harvest losses. And there are a whole bunch of of, uh, suggestions and, and goals for how to do that. Uh, But but based on that, the United States created the U.S. 2030 Food Loss and Waste Reduction Goal, same target. There's also nonprofits working. But yeah, changes are being proposed across the entire food supply chain here. Um, Stuff like uh, food and material scientists are working on ways of better storing and packaging foods before they reach consumers. There's conversations about expiration date, labeling standardization, something that we talked about way back when in Mm -hmm. our expiry date episode. Yeah. Um, I know that there was a lot of attention when, you know, whenever John Oliver does a piece on something, (laughs) all this attention gets pointed towards it for a brief moment. Well, I don't know how brief. But anyway, um, about how we can't donate a lot of the food, even if it's sometimes, even if it's like packaged to people who are hungry. Yeah. Um, and I remember when I was in college, my um, my room, whatever they called, the person who, like, ran the hallway, <laughs> the RA? Sure, yeah. <laughs> whatever. Uh, she was so sweet, and she had this whole day where we, like, put on hairnets, we put on gloves, and we made sandwiches for the homeless, and we went to donate them, and they said we can't donate them because of oh. the law. Wow. Um, so I know there's talk about changing things like that. And I understand, like you said, about concerns of um, disease or food poisoning, bacteria, whatever it might be. But it seems like there must be a way, an intersection where we can do better than that. Than just throwing it away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in in a report by the World Resources Institute that was released um, August 29th of, of this year, so just a few days ago as of this recording, um, this team of researchers, this huge team of researchers, recommended things like like education for produce purchasers and consumers to to underline the inherent quality in foods that aren't currently being bought and sold for what are essentially cosmetic reasons, like yeah. bruising on fruit mm-hmm. or weird-looking apples. Right. Um, uh, and then also, like, the construction of processing facilities near farms to create saleable, value-added products um, from what's still unmarketable after that education. Mm-hmm. Uh, can stuff, process it into other stuff, make, I don't know, lip balm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and lip balm is going to come back in a moment, I it promise. Is. It will make sense soon. It will. Um, yeah, what's still unmarketable um, and, and from various byproducts. Make, I don't know, make some, make some, uh, make some sauerkraut. Delicious. Ooh. Make some hot sauce. I will. Again, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then also, just to further education for consumers about how to store and use foods. Yes. Which brings us to Julia. Aha! So we're going to come in with an interview with her, but first, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. 
So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching! Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga! How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. And here's our conversation with Julia. Hi. Hi, Julia. How are you? Hi. I'm good. How are you? Oh, I'm doing just all right. Hi, Annie. How are you? I am tired. I'm tired. <laughs> I'm not going to try to hide it. But I am very excited to see you. But one, because you bought gifts. You came with gifts, which is always a plus. Oh, absolutely. This isn't the only reason we keep inviting you. No, no not at all. Not reason. at all. But a main one. I mean, it's up there. It's up there. It's a side perk, for yes. sure. And also, we love having you. You're a good Yay. friend of ours. Always a good conversation. Yeah, um, and the and the the food gifts that you brought with you today are uh, are food waste related because that's what we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, so you, you brought. I'm just, I'm just going to talk about it just because yeah. it's sitting right in front of me and I'm right. about to accidentally drink it at any given mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. So so we've got a watermelon pickle. Yeah. So it's a watermelon rind. So historically, people would pickle the rinds and then um, just to use up all parts of the watermelon. And then I also brought lip balm that I made out of food scraps, out of lavender, and out of apple cores. <sighs> yeah. It smells delightful. It does smell delightful. <laughs> we just did an episode on lavender, so. Oh, yay. Yeah. yeah. It all oh. ties in. It <sighs> does. I was mistaken that it would keep the lions away, but I still yeah. like the, the smell of lavender. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite. Uh, what, what got you into um, food preservation and, and waste avoidance to begin with? So in my early uh, early adulthood, I was pretty broke all the time, mm-hmm. and I like so all of my food came from food banks, and I 
didn't yet really know how to cook or do anything. And so it's like I was just eating this food bank food. And I was like, wow, you know, I'm really tired of eating like a can of corn for dinner. Huh. Like there has to be some other way I can go about affording to eat. <laughs> and, like, um, and so I, uh, what I ended up doing was learning how to garden, talking to friends who were farmers, things like that, learning how to preserve food, all these things. And then slowly started to incorporate that myself um, into my own uh, life. And I also got on EBT rather than just going to the food bank. So I actually got to do things like purchase fresh vegetables, which what? was super cool. And so then I was like, I can preserve these vegetables and then eat them and have a nutrient perhaps. <laughs> and, um, and so that's kind of how I started getting into that. And I've been doing that ever since. So at this point, like 15, 16 years. Something. Oh, goodness. Yeah. So a while. Um, and your your background is in is in history. Uh, you're a food historian. Yeah. Um, how does that provide a lens for your for your work in all of this? So I first encountered food history as an area of study in 2008, which was when I was um, still doing this, like you know, on EBT and still uh, kind of finding my feet financially. Um, and so I was still really trying to reduce my own food waste, and I was finding that it was hard for me to do that. Uh, sustainably, like it was because I'd be like, oh gosh, this just feels really overwhelming. I feel really anxious about whether or not I'm doing this right, et cetera, et cetera. Or like, I'm tired and maybe I don't want to think about like what to do with all of these peels today. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> um, and so it started, it started out kind of in that space. And then as I discovered um, historic food, I was like, oh wow, I can use this as a way to actually make doing this fun. So like, I'm like, oh, hey, look at all these ways that people did this historically. Now I can go through this, um, you know, through finding what to do out with these peels and actually be like, oh, wow, apple scrap vinegar. Amazing. Let's make that. And then I can learn all this history stuff and make this. So it ended up making it go from being just a, you know, a thing I had to do because I was broke to a thing I actually uh, liked doing. Yeah. So that was, it was exciting. Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel I feel like that tiredness is a pretty core part of why I don't do yeah. more of that. So, yeah, that's like most people I talk to, and they're I'm like, yeah, why do you not, or why like why do you not uh, waste food, or why do you feel like you're not able to cut down on waste? And they're just like, oh, it's just so much work. And I'm like, it doesn't have to be, but we all like, but we feel like that, and it's overwhelming, and it makes you anxious. So I get it. So, so this is this is like a ridiculously big question, but kind of in review. Uh huh. Um, how have waste preservation techniques and and technologies changed throughout human history? <laughs> All of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> so, so like before the industrial revolution, we're mostly looking at waste on like a town or household level. You know, you don't have like a factory that's producing so, so, so much stuff for people, um, you know, for thousands of people in different towns around the world. Um, so you're just like, okay, what do we do at the household level? Like the kind of stuff I teach, like what a restaurant does or a um, home cook does or whatever. And so you see things like pre-industrial revolution, there are some guidelines and things that people would share um, that when we did the apple pie making thing, that yeah. same book, um, has a bunch of food waste uh, stuff in it. So most of it's like feeding these scraps to livestock or like maybe a couple recipes for using them in there, mostly livestock feeding, <laughs> but um, which makes sense given what the book was. But oh, sure. 
Yeah, so you mostly see that. And then, um, so we see people also preserving things, of course, to get through the winter and stuff like that, you know, so that they don't go hungry. Um, but then when we get to the Industrial Revolution, we see all of this, um, we see both changes in transportation and in food preservation. So you can can all of this stuff, and then suddenly it can go all around the country on the railroads. And so you have kind of this new way of engaging with food and food waste. And so it was really, I think we were only thinking about waste if it could be used for another product they could make money off of. Yeah. So like hot dogs or something or like... I'm not a margarine expert, but I seem to recall that margarine was initially like some waste product of something else. I don't know if that's true. Maybe fact check that. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, you know, through through the grapevine, I have been told this. Um, and yeah, so we had to start thinking on a much larger scale about what waste looked like. Um, and then now, you know, today we're so used to all of the packaging waste and all of the whatever that it's just a totally different world that started with the Industrial Revolution, but is so different from, you know, historically how really much of our waste operations have looked. Um, yeah, it's it's like an entirely different concept of what abundance means, of what, yeah. of what food and hunger are yeah. since the Industrial Revolution. So, yeah, the Industrial Revolution, like I said, you know, we have the railroad technologies and all the canning and all of that. And so then once we get to the post-World War II period, then we also have, you know, kind of this increased abundance. The U.S. is, you know, really wealthy and all of that. And so it's we're like, oh, we have all these convenience products. They're being marketed as like the hot new thing. And everybody's like, I want the hot new thing. Let's have lime jello with like whatever in it for dinner. That sounds great. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and so then abundance, like the concept of abundance and hunger and all of this meant Instead of having a pantry full of stuff that, like, say you canned or your family canned and, like, fresh vegetables and, like, cured meats and kind of the stuff that we would historically see, um, you know, an abundant pantry was just, like, a bunch of cans that you bought at a store that were stuff that people made. Like, they grew it far away. They canned it far away. You went to this really sterile environment and went and picked it up and then put it in your house. And so it's this really disconnecting way of being feeling like things are abundant and it feels like you have to rely externally on like somebody else to produce this stuff like we don't know how to like okay well I don't know how to can this so now I'm at the whim of whoever's making these cans rather than knowing how to do it yourself so yeah it's a I feel like we're kind of coming full circle and a lot of people are like wanting to do homesteading and all these other, you know, slow food and all these other things that try to reconnect them uh, and move them away from just the, like, you know, can of food or box of mac and cheese or whatever. Yeah, because it's, um, when I really started thinking about it, it really kind of creeped me out the next time that I, like, walked into a supermarket and I was like, these products are, you, you just walk into the produce aisle yeah. and you're like, these products are from all over the world. There's yeah. no good reason why I should be getting a fresh tomato right. in December. Right, yeah. Uh, and, and Not at all. And there's no good reason why I should have 78 fresh chickens to choose from. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's wild. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, all the packaging that they're wrapped in and everything, it's like, why is the tomato now in, like, plastic wrap? Like, why? Like, does it need to be? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's in this clamshell because yeah. you know because you have to transport it from Chile, right, and so of yeah. course it's in a clamshell. Yeah, but, so we don't want it to get bruised, right? Yeah, because an ugly tomato or a bruised tomato is completely useless. Yeah, it'll just get thrown out anyways. Right. Yeah. 
you talked you talked a little bit about this, but um, but how have you in I, I don't want to say like your lifetime, like how, how have you in <laughs> in our our lifetimes um seen this change like like personally, like like not even I guess from or yeah yeah like like you spoke to how when you were a a younger adult you started exploring this, but um, but yeah what what have you what have you seen the the community in general do? So I think when I was a kid in the 80s, um, people still seemed pretty invested in prepackaged food and didn't seem – I mean, obviously, this isn't a hard and fast rule for everybody because that's not possible. Um, but yeah. <laughs> um, but people still seemed pretty okay with prepackaged food and that convenience kind of being the norm. Like, convenient food is better food whether or not the food itself is better. Sure. Um, and now – I feel like we're seeing more an eagerness to try new things. We're seeing people wanting more flavors, more different preparations, wanting to know where their food's from just in the past, say, you know, 20 and especially the last 10 years. And so it's like we're seeing that. And I think that's great because it means, you know, people are exploring and learning, but they're also open to having conversations about things like food waste and about um, – different ways of preparing food and engaging with food. And it's not like, you know, if I tried to have that conversation with like, you know, say like my grandma in the 50s or something, she would be like, I don't have a lot of social context for this. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like I understand that like wasting food is bad and I compost and stuff, but we're not having cultural, you know, large scale conversations about it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I, I think, I mean, did, did your, Annie, did, did your family or did your did your immediate family or did your grandparents um, do any, like, composting, any canning of their own? I, I, I have no idea how, like, con- connected to the land your family was. <laughs> like, I, I remember my, my mom's uh, parents had a small garden out back, and they would they would compost, and they would, uh, at the very least, make fresh food out of—I don't think they did a lot of canning, but they would, at the very least, make fresh food out of what they had. Maybe, maybe a jar of pickles here and there, mm-hmm. but how about you? Oh, man. <laughs> My family didn't really do any of that, um, but my neighbor was a survivalist. If you ever wondered where I learned to throw knives and axes, it was him. <laughs> I have wondered. <laughs> Many people have asked. <laughs> it's a fair question. It's a fair question. Um, but he did. He really did, and he was all about it, and he had— he had gardens and he would can and he did it in much more of a different sense of like, I, sure. it's a bomb shelter right. and anything could happen. Yeah. Um, but he would give me cans of stuff. And I do think it's the, the when someone gives you something, like the gifts that you bring, it does have a more important, as more value to me because someone made it. Mm-hmm. And I would assume you're not trying to murder me. I mean, no, maybe that's no. false. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> she's like, she can throw knives and I can poison her with yeah. water. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it feels like harder to throw away, I guess. Yeah. As opposed to like something I just bought at the store maybe yeah. on a whim. And then yeah. I'm like, oh, I don't really, I don't really know about this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, so how can... How can people start? It seems again like like I'm tired, and it seems very daunting yeah. um, uh, to to even get started thinking about being less wasteful yeah. um, and 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 producing something useful and good and fun. Um, what, what do um what do you need to get started? I mean, not much, which is nice. Like it's we already have all of the tools we need to do this by virtue of things that like you know 
different ways of cooking that have been passed down to us by virtue of just the ingredients that we have. So we have all of the base stuff there. Um, So I tell people, like, one of the critical things, instead of just being, like, trying to do everything at once, um, because you'll go nuts probably, um, is so I'll tell them, you know, find one or two things that interest you. Start there. So, like, something as simple as taking, you know, citrus peels or something and infusing them in vinegar and then using it to cook or clean with. Or, you know, taking, like, veggie scraps and saving them in your freezer and making stock out of them once you have, like, a chicken carcass or something. Like, simple stuff like that. Um, And then it's, like, if you find something that interests you, like, with the historic stuff I do, it's, like, okay, well, this is nice because then you have this larger kind of perspective that you can um, fit fit this into. So like, oh, I'm interested in, I don't know, medieval food, let's say. And it's like, okay, well, how did people do this in the Middle Ages? And let's find out. And, you know, now it like becomes a project and makes it actually fun and interesting and isn't just like, okay, well, here's like a recipe that you're never going to implement because you're exhausted. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Do you you have any, do you have any favorites? Uh, Any, um, any, any Anything that you're just, like, constantly doing or, or that you really look forward to? I make a lot of ferments, fermented food, all the time. So um, anything from, like, pickling stems and ends, like broccoli stems and stuff like that, uh, make really good pickles. Um, sauerkraut-y things, um, just because it's kind of easy to grate up a bunch of vegetables and mash them together <laughs> and then ferment them. Um, I make a lot of mead, too, so if I have, like mushy fruit or something, I'll just, like, take it and put it into a container with some honey and some water, and I'm just like, oh, let's see. Like, this might be terrible, but <laughs> it might be good. Like, we'll, we'll find out. <laughs> Most of the time, it's good. If it's terrible, I just turn it into vinegar and use it to clean my house. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, my, my brain just went so many, so many lovely places. <laughs> I was like, I was like, what would that, like, like weird, like, citron peel and and mushy apple yeah. do as a bathroom cleaner. That sounds lovely. Yeah, it does. It makes your house smell really nice. Yeah. Yeah. Not good to taste, probably. Well, depends. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> sometimes good to taste. Sometimes not not really at all. Huh. Do you do, do you have any weird weird ones? Well so like um home craft stuff is one of the ones that I think is kind of weird because I think people um when you say food waste, people assume that you're limited to doing this in the kitchen, like doing a reuse in the kitchen. But, of course, people have used food scraps for all sorts of things throughout history to, you know, you know, gardening, of course, compost and all of that um, and livestock feed and stuff. But also like uh, dyes and inks, um, like those lip balms that I made, all all kinds of stuff like that are all, you know, just food scrap based and that's one of my favorite things to do is, like, I make dyes probably every week, and I'm, like, running out of pieces of fabric to dye with, huh. these, with these things. And so I'm, like, I have to go buy more, like, T-shirts <laughs> or something. <laughs> oh, that's a fun problem to have. It is. I like it. Uh, do you, Okay, you, you spoke a little bit about lacto-fermentation mm-hmm. and, and just sort of, like, putting stuff in a jar— and letting it do its thing. Yeah. That seems daunting to me because I'm like, that seems like a good way for me to give myself food poisoning. Mm-hmm. Um, but I understand on like a scientific level that, right. that it's actually relatively difficult to do so if you know what you're doing. Could yeah. you uh, 
Could you could you walk us through the process of yeah. not giving yourself food poisoning? <laughs> yeah. So basically, um, one of the main things you want to do is make sure that all of your substrate, so that's just the fruit or vegetable, um, stays completely under the brine. Um, lactofermentation is anaerobic, and so the instant that you introduce air, you introduce like uh, the possibility for molds and other stuff you don't want to grow on that. If it's just a brine, um, you know it'll it'll be safe if it's all under there. So. Usually I'll put it in a jar and wait it or, you know, put an airlock on it or there's any number of things you can do. Um, so you do that, let it sit, like check it every day. Just make sure, you know, no like little pieces of cabbage have floated up to the top or like nothing's molding or nothing, you know, feels like it's going off. Um, you want to try to limit the amount of air that's getting in there. So if you have the container all the way full, that's best. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, you, you can always, there's a ton of great resources out there. I mean, obviously, the art of fermentation is kind of the, the gold standard that a lot of people use, but there's a lot of others. Um, Ferment Works has several different really good uh, fermentation books, and there's a lot of other other good folks out there as well. Um, yeah, sp- speaking of, are, are there, what are some other resources uh, if... Unless that was your list. Uh, uh, no. <laughs> excellent. Hey. Uh, uh, yeah. What are what are some other resources that uh, that people can go to if they want to learn more about all of this? So, um, oddly enough, or maybe not oddly enough, oh. um, I've found a lot of really good stuff on Instagram. That like huh. so different Instagram. Not like not even necessarily like influencers, quote unquote, like people who are like well known. Although sometimes, but. Just, like, people who are really passionate about this stuff. So Pascal Baudar is somebody who does a lot with um, wild foods, and he's working a lot with um, wild invasives right now. And he's been really pivotal in one of the things that I teach is thinking of wild invasive plants as uh, food waste because we can go out and we can, like, forage this stuff. It's free food, and it's so much better to do to try to population control um you know, garlic mustard or something in that way, as opposed to like spraying it or, um, you know, mowing it and, you know, with a gas mower or whatever. So, um, so that's been really good. Um, Zero Waste Chef is another one. And there's a lot of other, there's like a lot of homesteading and kind of no waste kind of accounts out there. Um, Various fermentation folks, the Ferment Lady is a good one. Um, yeah. Um, also, the James Beard Foundation has a. They have a free online class for culinary instructors. It's you can you can definitely pull stuff out of it as a home cook and stuff too. But it's geared towards you know instructors at culinary schools, and they have a cookbook and some other stuff. And it's called the Waste Not Initiative. So that's cool. And so I've also um, for folks that want to do the kind of stuff I'm talking about, I also have um, an online class that people can. Uh, can take called preserving abundance and so i cover all the stuff i just talked about beverages and vinegars and uh sauerkraut and making lip balm and hot sauce there's hot sauce (laughs) 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 yay um yeah and it all uses food waste and uses that kind of um you know using historic recipes and perspectives to kind of shift your mindset about food waste so it feels less scary (laughs) What is what is to you that that mindset that you kind of need to get into in order to in order to embark on this? I mean, I think it's it's kind of 
re-empowering ourselves to see, like, like internalizing our ability to create our food and to work with our food waste as opposed to like how I was talking about with cans and like if you only know canned food that somebody else has canned, like then you're at the whim of that person to preserve any food that you want that's not fresh. And so there's kind of that perspective of like, you know, what skills don't I have that I want to make the food that I want to eat? And then there's also this like um, this idea of I, I'm still trying to figure out exactly like the most succinct way to say yeah, it, but sure. but this idea of um, of thinking of food abundance within like the entire ingredient. So, for example, if you have a carrot, you're thinking about the tops and you know the peels and the carrot and like the whole thing gives you different things to play with and things to do. So it's not like you look at it and you throw the tops in the trash and then, you know, peel it and then use it and you've like two-thirds of the thing is gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, thinking about abundance in that way, um, I think is a really good way to get um, get people to start thinking in that direction. And also when you do that, you can be like, okay, well, what is this like? Well, you know, what are these peels like? Or what is this, you know, these carrot tops oh, I've made, you know, a pesto out of whatever before. I can take these and chop them up and make something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or even yeah. just use them as a, as a garden. I don't think that yeah. I knew that carrot tops were edible until about a year ago. <laughs> and I was like, oh, these are delicious. Like, mm-hmm. you can you can just kind of throw them in a, in, a, in a soup or a stew the way that you would parsley. It adds a tiny bit of a kick, a mm-hmm. little, like, weird bitterness, which I love. Yeah. So, yeah, weird bitterness. Weird bitterness. It's <laughs> delicious. Uh, it is. <laughs> That's a good descriptor for the show. <laughs> Hooray. Oh, it's cheerfully weird bitterness here. There we go. <laughs> um, uh, where uh well is there is there anything else that you want to to talk about any maybe any like uh like favorite weird historical things that you got super excited about or I've, so I've started making this thing called tarhana, which is a um, a soup powder. It's like a dried soup powder. Okay. Um, it's Turkish. And I've had it, like I've had the soup before, but I didn't know anything about the soup powder until I started researching the history of different ferments. And I was like, oh, God, I didn't realize that this <laughs> this thing is so wonderful. And yeah, so you take, it's got several different microbial processes going on. So there's yogurt in there and there's also flour And so you have lactic acid fermentation as well as yeast fermentation um, happening. And it's just basically it's yogurt, flour, legumes, usually chickpeas, I think some grains sometimes. Sometimes people like break up um, old bread in it. Okay. Veggies, herbs. It is many things. (laughs) And they're all smooshed together and then – fermented and then rolled into balls and sun-dried and then crumbled and you have like an instant soup powder and it's been around for hundreds of years and it's amazing and like it's sour and lovely and like vegetal and it's really really nutritious yeah yeah it sounds like a beautiful version of like a hot and sour soup yeah 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 it's amazing oh wow um (laughs) Uh, you also were posting on some kind of social media the other day about um, about a garum. Am I saying that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. That, that you made and, and also a beef stock version? Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so fish sauce and then, like, beef 
sauce. <laughs> mm, beef sauce. Beef sauce. <laughs> Delicious. Mm. <laughs> but no, but no, it is. Uh, it's, no, it was actually really good. Um, I haven't found out really an appetizing way to like describe it yet, but it's really nice. Like, so the one I made, I took um, maple sugar and beef, um, just like beef scraps and salt and some uh, shoyu that I made to like a soy sauce, a okay. homemade soy sauce. And packed all in a jar and let it sit for a while and then had that. And then similar for the fish, except for without the sugar on those ones. Yeah. Um, when you're when you're doing these projects, how long running are some of them? I mean, like, like if you want to start with like a – I mean, a quick pickle isn't quite uh, yeah. uh, the same thing. But, you know, that can be done in like right. 45 minutes. Right. Yeah. And like some ferments. I mean, I'll make um, like fermented pestos and things and I'll let them sit for a day. Mm-hmm. Um you know, things like sauerkraut or whatever, maybe a couple weeks, um, a month, kind of depending how sour you like it. Some of the stuff I do sits for like over a year, and that's a little excessive for most people probably who like, <laughs> I don't know, live with other people and who, you know, maybe those other people want to use the counter space for something besides like jars of rotting fish. But <laughs> <laughs> but for me, it works very well. So, um, but yeah, for you can, you know, you can use as little or as much time as you want to make this stuff yeah yeah um is there anything else that you would like to talk about that we didn't ask you i can't think of anything no okay hooray yeah yeah (laughs) uh annie did did you have anything else i have a question uh because recently on the other show i do we did an episode on um environmentalism Mm -hmm. and the difference between men and women and there's been all of this study that not it not only does it hurt women more, but it also falls to women to do a lot of that work mm-hmm. of the recycling in the house and of this type of stuff mm-hmm. we're talking about. Um, and so I can imagine thinking like if you have a family, and I have I have a friend who I think their family did this really well, where they taught the children like you're going to help with this <laughs> right. part. Yeah, it's really important for you to know where your food is coming from and kind of reconnecting to your your family and the food. Mm-hmm. So I just am curious, like, if you have any if you have any tips or, or a way for someone listening who's like, I would love to do that, but I've got I'm ha- I'm busy living this all that right. I can't have. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. I mean, I like kind of what you talked about about your friend, you know, dividing up the labor among people in the household. And, of course, that requires having a household where people are willing to pitch in, which is a thing. Um, (laughs) But if you do, um, you know, that seems good. I mean, and also just maybe sticking to the simpler stuff, like maybe maybe trying to make homemade fish sauce doesn't feel super accessible. But, like, you know, taking a jar and dropping some scraps in it and dumping some oil on it and having a flavored oil does. Um, So kind of just, like, work within your own limitations and boundaries like don't you know they aren't necessarily limitations they're just kind of the you know structure of your life so I think there's plenty of stuff you can do but um yeah as far as uh the gender dynamics and everything I mean yeah I definitely think just like with any kitchen thing women have a lot more uh expectations placed on us to have to make all of this and whatever so when I work with a lot of home cooks I'm like I try to make it like as like non-daunting as possible because everybody's like I already work like 80 hours a week and do a million things and I don't have time for this frankly (laughs) I'm like well that's that's fair (laughs) yeah yeah and uh, I don't know 
I the thing that I'm trying to work on for myself right now is just being self-aware about it. Just like being like, okay, well, I I have this amount of rosemary yeah. that I bought or that I just harvested. And rather than letting it go moldy in the mm-hmm. fridge, just like being self-aware that it's there and that I'm not gonna cook with it again and just being like, oh, just put just put that in oil. Yeah. Just put or or salt or sugar or, or whatever vinegar yeah. or literally anything yeah. than letting bacteria eat it before or in this case, yeah, mold yeah. eat it before. Yeah. I do. Yeah. Um and just trying to change that mindset of just like we'll deal with it later. Like <laughs> yeah. later is now. Yeah. Like yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And it's it's a struggle because again we've like many of us weren't raised to have to think in that way. We were just raised to kind of be like, if you need more, the store's right there and you can just go get more. And it's like clamshell box with like, you know, right. whatever. Like, you know, we're we're just trained that way. So to try to untrain ourselves, I mean, it's taken me years and I still sometimes do it where I'll be like, ah, oh, I just honestly want like this gross box mac and cheese and whatever. <laughs> and like, there's absolutely nothing wrong with like, you know, want eating whatever. But like, sure. but also it's like I've, it's still kind of a, a symbol to me of how deeply ingrained just that sort of eating and that sort of perspective uh, perspective about the world is in me and everybody. Yeah. 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 I think when I was growing up, we had a list. We had a list of five meals and we just rotated. That was the list. Yeah. yeah. And that's what we ate. Um, <laughs> but I think I would have really enjoyed having kind of that experimental attitude you were talking about. Of like, mm-hmm. let's just see what happens with this. And if you have maybe a plan in place, if you have like a structure, if this looks like it's going to go bad, it goes here. Or if, yeah. If you just have that, I would hope that it would make it easier. Yeah. No, it helps. Like once I learned how to do multiple different kinds of things, so I learned how to like make vinegar and stuff rather than just knowing how to bake mead, then it was like if the mead messed up, it wasn't just like, okay, we'll throw it all in the trash. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was like, okay, well, I can I can make this into vinegar. I can, you know, I can either use the vinegar in food if it tastes good. If it doesn't but it smells nice, I can use it in my house. And if it, you know, doesn't really smell great and doesn't <laughs> taste good, I can use it um, as natural weed killer in my yard. So, like, it always <laughs> has some place it can go. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I, I, something about that hierarchy just made yeah. me really happy. Yeah, yeah. Is it good for eating? Is it good for cleaning? Is it good for killing stuff? Yeah. <laughs> and then the killing. <laughs> um, well, where where can people find you? So um, I'm on social media at uh, at Root Kitchens and at Bookish Julia is my personal one if you like cat pictures mostly. Um, I do, yeah. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. Um, and then root-kitchens.com. Um, that class is root-kitchens.com slash PA for people that want to check that out. Cool. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. yeah thank thank you. you. Yeah. That concludes our conversation with Julia. Um, and, uh, oh, man, I am so excited to to start doing weird stuff. Oh, yeah. We always talk about getting the goggles. Well, it's mostly me <laughs> and you go along with it, which I appreciate. <laughs> but you can get your goggles out, get your apron on, and just try some stuff. Yeah. And it, it, Like, I love the idea. I love how she reframed it and thinking of thinking of it in a fun, experimental way of reconnecting to your roots. Ah, Julia, that was for you. Um, (laughs) Instead of thinking of, oh, this is just another thing that I have to do now. Right, exactly. Um, And, yeah, if if anyone, not to to push it, like we're we're not, she's not sponsoring us, uh, just a a friend of ours. If you are curious about uh, the classes that she was talking about, because, yeah, she she is running running some uh, food waste 
prevention and uh, reframing abundance kind of classes. You can she she gave us a discount code. She did. Yeah, if you'd like to if you'd like to use that, you'll get five bucks off. That sounds pretty cool. You can go to root dash kitchens slash pa. Uh, that's p is in pineapple and a is in Adam. Uh, and then at checkout, you would enter code saver. Yes, and that is S-A-V-O-R because we do have people who spell it with a U. <sighs> English. I don't know why we're getting mad about oh, this. Oh, no, I'm not mad about it at all. <laughs> I, I, I like a U in a word. It seems, I don't know, refined. It does seem refined. It's like the R-E instead of the E-R. Sure. But I do like the A better than the <laughs> E in gray. These are a very important points. These are. You've I have to have your preferences. You do. I haven't thought that hard about gray, but I but I appreciate that you have. Think about it later. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, root dash kitchens slash PA. Enter the code SAVER at checkout if you'd like to check that out. Um and yeah, that that is our that is our little conversation about food waste for today. Yes, for today. Yes. And we've got a little bit more for you, but first we've got one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, and we're back with... Listener. <laughs> yes. Oh. It was supposed to be the fermentation oh. and the, like, screwing of the top. Of the lid, okay. There was a, some some special effect, not special effects, stunts for that one. <laughs> and Annie did a spinny do 
in her in her in her studio chair and yes. didn't knock anything off the table. So I, I was it. very impressed. I did it. There's a lot of wires involved. It's indicative of how tired I am. <laughs> I feel like that's the the what how my mind is working now. It's the spinning of the top. Oh. Well, there you go. There you go. I I hope I hope you get to go home and have a nap after <laughs> this. <laughs> Me too, friend. <laughs> but before that, Chad wrote I was out for a walk during a break at work listening to the episode and literally laughed out loud after listening to Annie's account of the meatless meatballs and remembering a time when my mom made wheat balls. <laughs> Back when I was in high school, my mom started incorporating our food storage supply foods into random meals here ah, and there so she could see how things did or did not work or if or if not, my brothers liked and would eat the creations. This brings me to the infamous Wheat balls night. Huh. One day, my mom cooked raw wheat in a crock pot until it puffed <laughs> until it until it was puffed wheat, and for some reason, then decided to make these puffs of grain into wheat balls to go with our spaghetti. They were terrible. All caps. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Mom. Smiley face. After that night, wheat balls never made it onto the dinner table again. After hearing Annie's account, I paused the episode and had to text my mom about this memory that we still laugh at to this day. Oh, wheat balls. <laughs> wheat balls. And then in the spaghetti. Right. Oh, no. I appreciate, the, again, the creativity. Yeah. Willingness to try new things. Absolutely. Inventiveness. Come yes. on. That's great. It is great. And it's Sometimes also, it doesn't turn out. It's great to be able to laugh at your mistakes and blunders as well. It's true. This is a learning lesson yes. on many levels. Come on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thomas wrote, Loved the podcast. Thought I'd write in from Scotland after your fish and chips episode. Loved it, by the way. Thank you. So I was born in Widnes, just outside of Liverpool, and grew up on proper, fresh, and delicious, true fish and chips. Six years ago, I moved to Scotland, which, if you didn't know, there have been some rivalries between the two nations throughout history, but I am pleased to say that the Scottish welcomed me with open arms, mostly. Within my first year here, still being in high school, I remember getting into my first fight. I was told that fish and chips was a Scottish dish and that the English had no place in claiming it was theirs. By the end of it, I all decided enough was enough. I must try these so-called fish and chips, I thought. So that night, I went down to my local chippy, short for fish and chip shop. What I discovered was horrifying. Away with just simply fish and chips and instead what is called a fish supper, essentially the same thing, lashings of brown sauce, and the worst of it all, battered effing Mars bars. Six years on and now being 20 and a little more mature, I realize that at a certain point, as mentioned in the episode, at a certain point, anything fried tastes good. But I still stand by my view that only the English can do true fish and chips. To quote Mel Gibson, sort of, they may take our lives, but the Scottish can't do fish and chips. Very good impression, Lauren. (laughs) Nailed it. (laughs) Nailed it. I thought I was watching the movie for a second. <laughs> well, it's the makeup that I brought that I thought really yeah, set yeah. it off. You, yeah. she, we really went all in. I did a stunt. She bought makeup. Very believable. Just saying. Two your own horns for a second. I love that. That's <laughs> these little food rivalries and oh, preferences. Brown sauce. I don't even know what that is. Gosh. Uh, but yes, thank you to both of them for writing in. Yes, and if you would like to write to us, you can. Our email is hello at saberpod.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at saberpod. We do hope to hear from you. 
Savor is a production of iHeartRadio and Stuff Media. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.